So John chapter 15, Ephesians chapter 4. You know, we just finished a, a really wonderful missions conference, and the theme of the conference this year was Reformation and Revival. Reformation and Revival. Uh, re Reformation is when God's people get back to God's Word. Over time, things tend to build up and sort of uh, obscure the clear teaching of God's Word. The, the most famous Reformation that we use that word for was the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century, Martin Luther, John Calvin, and then moving forward. But, but really what was applied to them was that word Reformation, but that wasn't something new. That's something that, that God has done throughout his people throughout the centuries. We see even in old ancient Israel that there were reformations that happened as God's word was uncovered, was rediscovered. Over time, traditions of men, false teaching, false doctrine tend to build up and accumulate over the teaching of God's word. And, and, and there always comes these points in times where we need to, to push all of that back and get back to what does God's word say? What has God said in his word? That's a reformation where you get back to the word of God. A revival oftentimes comes after the reformation. That's where God pours out his spirit in a profound way, in a providential way. And even in times of, of great harvest and great ingathering and, and great uh, times of people coming into the kingdom, oftentimes those come after a reformation. You see, we need revival in our world today. We, we need an outpouring of God's spirit in our world, but we also need it in our, our land, in our country. We need it not only in our country, but we need it, guess what, in our church. And we not only need it in our church, we need it in our personal lives. And so if, if we want to see this outpouring of God's spirit, a, a, a reawakening of his people, we must get about the work of reformation, of getting back to what God's word says. And so I did not want to move on so quickly from this theme. I really believe this theme, we look at it at the beginning of the year with our conference, it should carry on through the rest of the year as, as we go about our year here at Christ is King Church. And so I didn't want to move on from it so quickly and just say ha ha, or not, not ha ha, but thank you Lord, clap clap, and move on. You know, we looked at in the morning sessions eight different areas that we need reformation and revival, revival eight different areas. And, and I believe each of those areas, we, we need to consider deeply what the Word of God says uh, to us. But again, I believe we should take some time today to take a pulse on our spiritual lives and consider in our lives what areas of our lives might need reformation, might need us to go back to, okay, what does God's word say and how do I live in light of that and how do I apply that? And so I want to ask you, I just want you to consider here this morning, 
Where are you in your walk with the Lord? If you had to, uh, to take a survey, if, if you, you surveyed your, your relationship with the Lord today, where, what would you find? You know, we can go through life so quickly and from this thing to that thing, life today somehow seems more busy than it's ever seemed before. You know, we were promised that technology was going to solve all of our problems and we would have all this free time in our lives. And it seems to me like we have less time to ourselves than we've ever had before. And we're just constantly being invaded. Our private lives, our, 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 our private moments, constantly being invaded by everyone and everything. From the San Antonio Spurs to H-E-B to Little Caesars Pizza. I mean, I'm getting notifications on my phone constantly. It's, it's ridiculous. I'll be here in church worshiping God and my, my watch will tap me and I'll look down and it says, do you want to order a pizza from Domino's? And it's like... I don't know, do I? Uh, you know, it's just, am I the only one? I mean, it's just this constant invasion. And, and there's always something for us to be doing, something to grab our attention. And we need to think, we need to stop, we need to meditate. Where are we in our walk with the Lord? Where are we in our walk with the Lord? And why is it that we need to do that? Well, because simply this we live in a fallen world, do we not? We live in a fallen world. And so what, what that means is that the, the gravity of our world pulls us away from Christ. There, there's a spiritual gravity in our world. And again, it's part of the world system, the fallen system of the world, dominated by sin and Satan and death and demons and all of that, and, and we live in that world, do we not? We're not of the world, but we live in the world. And so if, if we are not constantly applying forward direction, energy, momentum, pu pushing forward into Christ, we're, we're going to be falling away. It's just, it, it doesn't take anything, it doesn't take any effort on your part to, uh, to move away from Christ. All you got to do is nothing. That's all you got to do. Because we live in a fallen and broken world. And not only that, but we also have a, a flesh, have sinful desires. At least I do. I don't know about all you sanctified holy people out there. But I, I have to battle my own flesh. So even if I became a monk and went and lived off on a mountaintop somewhere, got all the way outside of the whole world system and temptation, guess what I still have to contend with? My flesh and my sinful desires. And so to, to move away from Christ, to grow cold in our walk with the Lord, all you have to do is nothing. And so this is why we have to constantly be considering, am I, where am I at in my walk with the Lord? Right now, today, January 21st, 2024, are you growing closer to the Lord or are you moving further away from Him? And so let's look here at John 
chapter 15. We're going to look here at the first half of the chapter, the first 17 verses. And there's some truths I, I want us to pull out of this this morning. Jesus says, I am the true vine, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine. And my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if indeed you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide or remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another." And then Ephesians 4, verse 17, the Apostle Paul almost summarizes this whole teaching here in one or two verses. It's a, it's a prayer that he prays starting in verse 17. Paul praying for the Ephesians, uh, chapter 3, verse 17 he says, for this reason I bow before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named according to the riches of his glory that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that through Christ, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love 
may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and the height and the breadth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Keep your finger there if you are there in Ephesians chapter 3, but let's go back to John chapter 15. Just some observations I want to share with you this morning. And then three final points about abiding. The first observation is that Jesus says that he is, I am, the true vine. The true vine. So Jesus is the true vine. What does that tell us? It tells us that there are other vines out there. It tells us that there are other sources, so-called sources of life. Jesus is the true vine, so therefore there must be false vines. So the question for us is where are we drawing our life from? What are we plugged into? We could use that terminology. We're a whole lot more... Uh, familiar with electricity probably than we are growing vines, although I'm pretty good at growing weeds. Uh, I don't think that's the same thing, but this, this idea of electricity, right, that, that if you don't plug it into the source, it's going to have no power. It's not going to have any life. When these devices that are supposed to give us all this freedom but really end up giving us bondage, when when they run out of power, what do we call them? Dead. And if they want to have life, what do we have to do? We have to plug them in. And you have to plug it into the right thing. I, I can't just go take my charger and stick it in the dirt. Right? I, I can't just go plug it into anything. It, it has to be connected to the source. And in, and in the same way, they're are different quote-unquote power sources, different vines that are promised to give us life in this world. But Jesus is the only true vine. Jesus is the only true source of life. But what are you plugged into? Jesus says if we are not attached to him like a branch that is cut off from the vine, it's going to wither and it's going to die. What are you attached to? What are you drawing your life from? Another way of putting it is, what is it that energizes you? What is it that animates you? What is it that you get excited about? What is it that has your affections? It should be Christ, amen? I think that's obvious here. Jesus not making this uh, obscure, he, he really is laying it out for us clearly that he is the true vine and that those that are connected to him, drawing their life from him, their affection set upon him, are going to produce good fruit in their lives. But the fruit you produce in your life is a result of the vine you're drawing life from. The, the source that you're drawing life from. 
You see, there's so many different sources, so-called sources of life. Every advertisement we ever see really is making an appeal to this. If you will attach yourself to this thing, you will have joy, you will have satisfaction, you will have what you want and desire. You know, all you need is a Coke and that's going to make life better. Right? I mean, the, every advertisement, they don't, they don't show people on there depressed and, you know, at the end of their rope, just so ready to throw in the towel on life, and there they are drinking a Coke. They don't show people doing that. They show people happy and exuberant and full of life, and everything's wonderful because I'm drinking Coke, you know? How many of you could really use a Coke right now? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it, it's ultimately appeal to a, a, a source of life. Attached to this and you will have life. And the fruit that you produce is a result of the vine you're drawing life from. You know, there are good things in life, really God things, Blessings from God that, unfortunately, we can try to attach to and draw life out of that were never designed as a source of life for us. So, like, one, one of those, which is real common, is your career, your job. Now, careers are good. Jobs are good. Work is good. But if that's what I'm drawing my identity from, my joy from, my source of life from, it's not going to produce the fruit in my life that it should. My life will not produce the fruit that it should if I was drawing those things from Christ. Work, career, awesome things. But they're not God. They're not the number one. They're not what we look to for satisfaction in our lives. Because how many of you know your, your work life can be good one day and not so good the next? You, you, you can, things can be sailing smoothly in your job, in your career, and the next day you can find yourself unemployed. It's not eternal. It's temporary. How about, how about our relationships? Aren't those good? Aren't those a gift from God? Even marriage itself? But if I'm trying to draw from my spouse and, and have my spouse meet needs that only God can meet, it's not going to produce the, the fruit in my life that Christ would have me produce. Marriage is good. <laughs> I thank God for my spouse. But there are needs that I have that only God can meet. And if I look to my spouse to meet those needs, I'm, I'm making my spouse an idol. And I'm putting a burden on a, and pressure on them that they themselves cannot carry. What about children? You know, that, that's one too, like... We, a lot of us have, a, have had a desire and a desire to have children in our lives. And the Bible tells us that children are a blessing from God. So children are, that's a good thing. It's a thing to be desired. 
But if I put all my hopes and my dreams in my children, and I, and I look to, to, to have them satisfy all of my emotional and spiritual needs, I'm placing a burden upon them that they were never designed to carry. So there's, I'm, I'm not just saying that there's evil things in life that, that we try to draw life from that we shouldn't, which there are, don't get me wrong, there are. But what we as God's people need to be way more uh, observant of is if we have allowed our hearts to stray and so now we're looking to these other things which are good, which are awesome to satisfy us. Because our hearts can, can so easily stray. And it's not like we've gone off into sin that's so blatant and obvious. It's not like, you know, the, the husband that's being unfaithful to his wife, who's, who's seeking satisfaction outside of uh, his marriage relationship. We, we would all look at that and say, that's abundantly clear that that's sinful and it's obvious when that sin has happened. But what about the husband that has stopped looking to Christ to satisfy him and is now placing that burden upon his wife. And listen, you do that, guess what? They're, they're, your, your wife will never be able to meet all of your needs. So, so you're going to place, she'll never be enough. She'll never be enough. Wives, same with husbands, he'll never be enough. The Bible says that God has placed eternity in the heart of mankind. What that means is that we were designed to, to, to be in fellowship, to be in relationship with an eternal God, our eternal creator. Drawing our life from what animates us, what energizes us, what sustains us, what satisfies us, what is our source of joy is Christ. Is Christ. And so Jesus here is saying, I am the true vine. And so I want to encourage you, look at your fruit. Look at the fruit of your life. What is it that's being produced in you and through you, in your, in your heart, in your character? What do you see? Do you see the fruit of the Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you see a life that's overflowing with love and with joy? Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do you see these nine fruits of the Spirit? Hear me in this. If Christ is your vine, you're going to be experiencing those things in your life. But if you're not, it's because you've plugged into something else. You're drawing on something or someone else thinking that they're going to produce those things in your life. And they're not. They can even be good things. But we don't look to the good things. We must look to God himself, the source of life. So he says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch that, branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And then here in verse 4, he says, abide in me. And I in you. Abide. He uses this word abide ten times 
in this passage. Ten times he uses this word abide. When you hear the word abide, what comes to mind? What do you think of when you think of abiding? Do you think of something temporary? Something momentary? Uh, uh, a, a, something that is, is passing away, is transitory? No, it's not, is it? No, abiding is something continual. Abiding is something constant. In fact, we use this word abide to speak about our homes, do we not? What, what is another word for a home? It's an abode. An abode is a place where you live. And so he's saying we, we must live in him. And he even says this, that, that you live in me and that I live in you. That, that Christ is where we live. Constantly looking to Christ. Constantly gazing upon him. You see, Jesus is not just to be a part of our lives. Jesus is to be our whole life. Our whole life lived for the glory of Christ. You know, this is what Jesus said when he said, seek first the kingdom of God. It's to bring every area of life under his rule and under his reign, acknowledging his lordship above everything, including my emotions, including my affections, including my desires so that he's not just a part of my life and I go and I worship him on Sunday but then I don't think about him Monday through Saturday no 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 that's not abiding in Christ is it that's not abiding in Christ what 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 would your phone look like if you just charged it for two hours a week how far would it get you would it, would it last you to Saturday? Would it even last you to sundown? We, we must stay continually plugged into Christ. This is where Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He goes on to say that the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. You see, my relationship with God is not just a peripheral part of my life, just out there, just one thing in my very packed schedule. No, this is the defining factor in all of my life. How do, I, how do I go to work as a Christian, as a follower of Christ? How do I do my job as a follower of Christ? How do I drive in traffic on 410 as a follower of Christ? How, how, do, I, how do I think in my, in my quiet times as a follower of Christ? How do I use my computer as a follower of Christ? How do I relate to my spouse as a follower of Christ? How do I raise my children as a follower of Christ? What do I watch on TV as a follower of Christ? How do I speak to my neighbors and my coworkers as a follower of Christ? Every area of thought and life, this is abiding in Christ. 
This is abiding in Christ. Not, not just one part of my very packed schedule, the defining factor in all of my life, which means I must continually train my mind to be constantly aware of God's presence in my life. Jesus said, lo, I am with you always. God is always with us. He's always with us. God sees everything we ever do. God hears every word we ever say. God even knows the very thoughts and desires of our hearts. Jesus says, speaking on prayer, he says, your heavenly father knows what you need before you even ask. This constant awareness of God's presence and then stirring up a gratitude in our hearts towards him. Constantly meditating upon him and his word and how he is working in and through my life. You see, apart from his abiding relationship, from this abiding relationship with Christ, hear this, separated from this, your life will be joyless and loveless. You might find temporary joy and love sucking it out of other people, but guess what? They're not eternal. They can only stand so much of you. before they need to go get away with God and recharge a little bit. I can only stand so much of me. I need eight hours a day just away from myself so I can recharge and get ready for the next day. If I'm only looking to others for joy and love, I'm going to suck everybody dry. But I look to Christ, who is eternal, who is himself love. So apart from abiding in relationship with Christ, my life will eventually be joyless and loveless. In verse 5, he puts it this way, apart from me, you can do nothing. To abide in Christ, you have to come to terms with this. The, the Apostle Paul, when he preaches uh, in the book of Acts in Athens, he says, in him, that is in Christ, in him we live and move and have our being. Christ is the source of all life. Christ spoke the world into existence. Christ hung the stars. Christ gives life to our sun, which gives life to our planet which causes the grass to grow, which feeds the cows that produces the milk and the cheese that's going to be in my enchiladas today. <laughs> it's all from Christ. It's all from Christ. Christ is the one who made oxygen. Every, every, every breath I draw, I'm dependent upon him. I borrow his air for a moment. He, he, he's the one that created me. He even formed me, the Bible says, in my mother's womb. He upholds, Colossians 1 says, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Created all things, sustains all things from him, through him, 
and to him are all things. Christ is even giving life to us at this very moment. You know that scientists, they, they, don't, they can't explain life. They, they can't explain why some things are living and other things are dead. When, when something is living and then dies, there's something spiritual that happens. And they can't explain it. They can't impart life. It, it is spiritual. It is supernatural. We, we draw upon Christ for all of our lives. That's why it's the, that's why sin is, is, is so devastating because it's using the life that God made and even his own energy that we borrow from him to rebel against him, which ultimately produces death. Without him, we can do nothing. Without him, we can't draw our next breath. Without him, we can't think our next thought. Without him, we can't see the words on this page. Without him, we can't hear his word preached and proclaimed. Without him, we can't stand to worship. Without him, we can't take the Lord's Supper. Without, without him, we can't tell our spouse that we love them without him, we can't do anything. We are, we are completely and totally reliant upon Christ and his life. This is the opposite of self-reliance. And so we must, as Christians, foster this mindset of living our lives with complete and total dependence upon Christ and his work for us on the cross, and his work in us by his Spirit. This is why we must continually reflect upon the gospel, the good news of his love and his cross, and laying his life down, and, and shedding his blood to cover our sins, to redeem us from death and from sin. Because the moment we lose that dependence is the moment we stop abiding. When I stop being dependent upon Christ and I become self-reliant, self-dependent, trying to accomplish things in my own power and my own strength, I'm cutting myself off from the life of Christ. And I begin to not abide in him and then my life starts producing fruit that I don't want, he doesn't want, nobody wants. And so we must press this truth into our hearts. Without him we can do nothing and when this truth becomes a reality, when we truly believe this, we will press into him and abide in him like never before. Those were my opening thoughts. Um, let, me give you three, let me give you three quick things about abiding here this morning. Abiding, number one, involves pruning. Invi abiding involves pruning. Jesus said it. I am the vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. God prunes things from our lives so that we might bear more fruit. He, he takes away things from our lives that are not producing good fruit. 
Now sometimes, how does he do this? How does God prune us? Sometimes he does it providentially, through circumstance. He, through his providence, through his sovereignty, God will prune our lives. Have you ever had a relationship that just ended and you, have, you, you still to this day can't even understand why it happened? It's the providence of God. God providentially doing things in, in your life. I look back over my life and I see many times where things happened I just didn't understand. And I recognize now God was pruning something out of my life. He was pruning me. So it's providence. He'll do it through providence. Other times, he does it through the conviction of his spirit in our lives. We'll spend time with him. We'll spend time in his word. We'll spend time among, uh, in fellowship with other believers. And God will begin to convict us of either sin in our lives or he'll begin to convict us of, of, of ways that we are uh, not living for him in ways that we should. Maybe we're wasting time. Maybe we're just in investing into things that aren't producing anything of eternal value. Maybe we have put people on that number one place in our life, the throne of our life, and we're trying to draw our life from them. So God will convict our hearts through his spirit. And, and we must then go before the Lord in prayer, go before the Lord in repentance, lay it at his feet. And so it's through providence, it's through conviction that God prunes things, and sometimes people, out of our lives. Now this pruning process is often painful, especially if it was something that we were trying to draw life from. So think about a vine. We are to be producing good fruit as we are connected to Christ, drawing life from him. But what if I start to try to draw life out of something that is, it should be producing fruit in my life? Well, that's, not, that's, a, that's a circular thing. It, it, you can't draw life from itself. It's going to end up producing death. And so God in his grace will prune that from our lives so that we can look back to Christ. It's a painful process. Sometimes the Lord, in his, with his pruning shears, he cuts us deep. Sometimes it can feel like, God, you've abandoned me. This is hurtful. This is painful. God, where are you in all of this? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever experienced this pruning process? But let me encourage you. The gardener is never so close as when he is pruning his vines. That is when the Lord is closest to us, amen. That is when his hand is nearest with us, when he is pruning us. The gardener is never so close as when he is in the pruning process. So why does God prune these things from our lives? Well, he tells us right here, he says, that you may bear fruit. That you may bear more fruit and good fruit so, number one, abiding involves pruning. Maybe the Lord is pruning something from your life today. Stop trying to hold on to something if the Lord's trying to remove it from your life. Amen. Number two, abiding 
requires obedience. Abiding in Christ requires obedience. If you look at verse 10, Jesus said, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Now, he doesn't only say that here. In fact, starting at the end of chapter 14 and going through the passage that we read, we read seven times does Jesus link abiding in him and loving him with keeping his commandments. Seven times. That's repeating himself like a good father would to his children. He wants us to get this message. And so over and over again, he says, to abide in my love, you must keep my commandments. And this is because as we read from Ephesians chapter 3, that we must be rooted and grounded in love. Again, this picture of drawing your life from. What is it that is at the source of your life? It must be Christ. It must be his love. And as we do that, we will keep his commandments. You see, our keeping of his commandments is based on his love for us. It's based on his love for us because he has loved us and because we love him, Jesus says, we must keep his commandments. And when we do, we are abiding in him. And let me just encourage you, as you are applying the word of God to your life, as you're looking at what God's word says and you're saying, okay, I'm going to obey God's word. That's how I abide in Christ. I keep his commandments. Let me just remind you, all of our obedience has to, number one, be rooted in love, but secondly, has to be done in faith. In faith. It's not just this cold, detached, well, God's word says it, so I guess I just got to do it. No, it's, Lord, I'm looking to you in faith as I step out in obedience to your word, and I'm believing that you are going to produce the good fruit that you have promised. I desire to obey you. I desire to walk in obedience with you. And I desire to abide in your love. And so, Lord, as I apply your word, I'm doing it trusting in you. Not detached from my relationship with you, but drawing on you for your source of life and power. So abiding involves pruning. Number two, abiding requires obedience. Also here, part of two he says in verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If we're going to, hear this, keep his commandments, we have to know what they are. Right? Which means, as Jesus says, we have to abide in his word. We have to live in his word. We have to be in his word as often as we can, renewing our minds Number one, abiding involves pruning. Number two, abiding requires obedience. And number three, from verse 11, abiding in Christ produces joy. Abiding in Christ produces joy. Verse 11, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you 
and that your joy may be full. As I said this morning when I read the psalm, that in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. At his right hands are pleasures forevermore. Listen, God wants your life to be full of joy. That's why he gives us his word. That's why he's given us his commandments. Because he knows that everything else, every other way of living doesn't produce joy, but it produces death. That's why he shows us in his word what is righteousness and what is sin. Not because he's trying to stop us from having a good time, but because he really wants our lives to be full of joy. Jesus says, I have spoken these things to you. I have given you my word. I have given you these instructions. Not to keep you pressed down. Not to keep you from having fun. Not to stop you from living a great life. No, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That word full there is actually all the way to the top. So that if you get bumped, if you get jostled, guess what overflows? Joy. Joy. How many of you want to be living life in such a way that when things don't go the way they're supposed to go, what comes out is not anger, what comes out is not animosity, but what comes out is joy. Oh, we must be abiding in Christ. We must be abiding in Christ. Because abiding in Christ produces joy, a joy that's not based on temporary circumstances, but a joy that's based on the eternal person of the Son of God. A joy that's based on God's work of redemption in our lives. A joy that's based on, as he said in verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. That's enough to, that's enough to, to, to shake us back into having some joy. That God would choose us. Unworthy as we are, sinful as we are, rebellious as we are, lacking faith as we do, that God, because of his love for us, would choose us to be part of his family. Remember from Matthew when we, we looked at it a few weeks ago when, when Jesus was doing his miracles and he called the tax collector Matthew and Matthew invited uh, Jesus to his house and all of the sinners and all of the tax collectors were gathering around Jesus and the Pharisees got up in a big huff. How is it that you sit down with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus says, I didn't come to call the righteous, but the unrighteous. What an, an astounding statement. That's why there's room for me and you at the table. That's why there's room for me and you in Christ's family. Not because we're so wonderful, not because we're so perfect, not because we're so lovable, but because he chose us. Because before the foundation of the world, he has set his love upon us and, and ordained that we would be part of his family. Listen, stir yourself up on that. And that will produce joy in your life. We did not choose him, but he has chosen us. He has chosen us to be part of his family and that we might go and bear good fruit for him. So in conclusion, 
I asked you this morning where you are in your walk with the Lord, where you are in your love and your affection for Him. It always does come back to love. It always does. Do we love Him most? Do we love Him most? Is He on the throne of our hearts? We will never, hear me, we will never love him the way he should be loved. It's just a sad fact. We will never serve him the way he deserves to be served. We will never worship him the way he deserves to be worshipped. But is he on the throne of our heart? Is he in that first place? Is he the one we're chasing after? Is he the one that we are living for? Is he the one that we are abiding in? Is he our first love? If we want to see revival in our lives, we must pursue reformation. We must pursue applying God's word to all of our lives, aligning our lives with his word, keeping his commandments which causes us to abide in his love. And as we do that, it's because we love him. It's always attached to our love for him. It's always rooted and grounded in love. And we love him for one reason, because he has first loved us. So let us stir ourselves up on our love for him by reflecting upon his love for us and let us always be in awe that he chose to love us. I invite you to stand with me this morning as we get ready to take the Lord's Supper. It really is a, a moment to pause and to reflect on his love for us. The greatest demonstration of love the world has ever known and will ever know is the love of God the Father expressed through Christ the Son. God shows his love for us in this. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Greater love, Jesus says, has no man than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe upon him would not perish but have eternal life. There's a story in the Old Testament where the children of Israel had rebelled against God. And so God sent these snakes to go and bite them. And they were having these poisonous snakes biting them. Very painful. And God told Moses, here, here is how you can be set free of these serpents. I want you to take a staff and I want you to put a bronze serpent on that staff. And you lift it up in the midst of the congregation and you tell the people, look to the serpent and you will live. 
Jesus, then as he's going to the cross, he says this, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. I used to be so confused about why was it that God put a serpent on that stick? Jesus is the lamb of God, not the snake of God. The snake is like the devil. It doesn't make sense to me. But here's the truth, that on the cross, the Bible says, God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we could have the righteousness of Christ applied to our account. On the cross, Jesus became the snake. And all of our sin and all of our shame and all of the punishment that we deserve was poured out on him. And so the message to all of us today is look to Christ and live. Look to Christ and find life. Look to Christ and abide in him. And as we come to the table this morning, that is what we do. The bread representing his broken body, the blood representing, or the, I'm sorry, the juice representing his shed blood. Christ is in our midst this morning. His presence is here with us today. This can be a dead, dry ritual. And if it is for you, there's no life here. But if, if through taking the bread and taking the juice, you look to Christ in faith, let me tell you something. There is life for you here. So use this as a way to look to Christ. Don't, don't let it just be your pre-lunch appetizer. Let this be the meal that sustains you for the rest of your week because we are abiding in Christ. Amen. So Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the cross that demonstrates your love for us. We thank you for his broken body and his shed blood. We thank you, Lord, that because he rose again, he has defeated Satan, sin, death, and hell, and that we now live and abide in him and share in his victory today. Lord, we celebrate your work in our lives. Lord, we look to you, the author and the perfecter of our faith, and we, 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 we dedicate, we, we, we set our minds today that we will draw our life and our love and our joy from you today. In Christ's name we pray.